All right, let's fix the game a little bit. All right, and here we go. Go ahead. Make my day. The first rule of Fight Club is you do not talk about Fight Club. Ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? Hey, Stella! I drink your milkshake. I drink it up. All right, this is episode four, actually, but not really, because I started doing this. Uh, I should actually, it's uh, film is about to start. I did it by myself last fall, and it sucked. <laughs> because <laughs> I'm sure it wasn't bad. I did. A, I wish I would have gone back and and listened to some of them. No, oh. it's fine. It's they're terrible. <laughs> it's, it's like me just talking about bullshit the whole time and just going, "Hey, I'm by myself." Um, Hope somebody's listening. Oh, and, yeah. Yeah, terrible. So what were the other uh, the other movies you talked about? Well, the first one was Night of the Living Dead. Uh, the, have you seen that? I saw it as a little kid, and it horrified me. I think there's like a scene where the, there's like a young girl who's zombified downstairs, and I think she kills her parents with a trowel. Yeah. And yeah, it really, uh, yep. really yeah, got me bad as a Spoiler kid. alert, if you haven't seen Night of the Living Dead, Cole <laughs> just ruined the fucking movie. Is that is like the <laughs> pinnacle of it? Jeez. No, there's no pinnacle of that. Uh, Night of the Living Dead, and then the second one was... Evil Dead 2. I do like Evil Dead. Okay. And then the third was Sleepy Hollow. Is it the Johnny Depp? Yeah. Man, I haven't seen that in a long time. But you have seen it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I did those and then I was... So, today's episode is going to be about seven in case you don't read what you click on on a podcast and know that that's what the movie's going to be about. <laughs> or the <laughs> podcast is going to be about that movie. Um, but, yeah, the, the writer... I'm going to pull it up on here. Uh... Andrew Kevin Walker, he wrote the screenplay for Seven and for Sleepy Hollow. So I was kind of going to go into Seven after talking about Sleepy Hollow because it was Halloween. Yeah, it kind of fits that theme, like the dark tones and moods. Yeah. yeah, and then, but it's it's not a horror movie. So it's like horror noir. So I was like, I wanted to do something. Sorry, because I was going to start going into like Fincher movies and... That was just too daunting, and then I just got busy doing other things, so I was just like, yeah. Right. So, and then, of course, we got together and talked about doing this, because I wanted, I think it's just better when you have two people talking. Yeah, it's a dialogue versus a monologue. And yeah. <laughs> I don't know how you prepare for something like that, because I think you do write a script, but yeah. then it sounds like that. Obviously, it sounds sterile, probably, and mm -hmm. if you're just kind of uh, improvising the whole time, too, then you seem ill-prepared. Right. Well, we met because my sister was in improv class with you, I think, Yeah, right? we met on an improv jam, man, was that three years ago? Probably about three. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I moved up here back in 2015 after graduating with uh, an AS in acting performance from Florida School of the Arts, pretty sweet, really small school. I had done some um, different like media stuff in high school, different video projects. We did the school news and just decided that I wanted to make stuff and perform and did like some different video projects and things growing up and in, in like into my like early to mid 20s. And then I started taking improv classes and that's when I met your sister. And then we met in a jam and uh, have just kind of like stayed in touch ever since. Yeah. Well, we did that. Uh, we did that music video for that contest, the Hans Zimmer thing. Yeah, that was super cool. Definitely now that you've seen Seven, because you hadn't seen it before this. No. This and I can definitely see where you were like, we're taking different like themes and stuff from that, which is yeah, super cool. Yeah. A little bit of my background is like I've moved to LA in like 2009 and started working behind the scenes and wanted to perform and didn't really know like what the right way to get into it was. Yeah. So I moved back here to the east and like started doing stuff at SCAD and did a bunch of shorts and stuff like that. So I always try to get back to LA, but I always feel like 
Atlanta keeps like pulling me back. It's like, I yeah. just keep... <laughs> but there's a good scene here. If you and if you find the right people, it's like, you know, there it's easier to get your independent stuff off the ground. I feel like here, yeah, as opposed to L.A. Right. It's just yeah. I think everybody's trying to do it out there, right? So it's this oversaturated market where at yeah. least out here, there's definitely a market, but I think mm-hmm. it's easier, and I think people are more supportive. You know, you've got all these different, like, film festivals and things where people are just making stuff. Mm-hmm. And I I don't know. Like, you see some of it. And not, not all of it's great, obviously. Mm-hmm. But I think people are still really supportive of even those, like, productions, which is cool. Yeah. It's just, it's yeah, it's crazy with, like, filmmaking and stuff. Like, how many people, like, don't really, like, I don't know. There's so many, um, there's so many, like, projects that just don't get off the ground. It's just, like, finding the right, like, people, like, just doing it and, like, getting it done. I think right. that's really, like... Yeah, I think the hardest part of any kind of project is just commitment mm-hmm. and getting people that are committed to finishing anything. Mm-hmm. It's Yeah, it's easy to start something. It's easy to start doing stuff. But I think following through is probably the thing that holds people back the most. Well, I think that's kind of like also kind of like rings true to like this podcast idea of like how I was doing, trying to do it by myself. But if you if but it's like community, it's like you like to have conversations and it's nice to have a dialogue with somebody that enjoys what you're doing and you kind of both keep each other in check kind of thing that's like what me and my partner like what we make like when we're making documentaries and things like that things like that we keep each other in check right you know yeah and i think when you're working on something by yourself it's so easy to go ah no one gives a shit like right. no one cares so like screw it yeah all right so let's go ahead and jump into seven and then this is where i'll probably cue in the podcast the trailer Ooh. do you like what you do for a living these things you see. Detective William Somerset is looking for a way out. Detective David Mills is looking for a way in. We'll be spending every waking hour together from now until the time I They're leave. caught in a game. No fingerprints and no witnesses of any kind. Let's finish it. Brad Pitt, Morgan Freeman, Gwyneth Paltrow. Man, that trailer's intense. Okay. (laughs) 90s trailers. Here's a guy in a world who's trying to give up what he's doing. (laughs) Or trying to be as vague as possible. Oh my gosh. I love how it's like starring these three people, but Gwyneth Paltrow's barely in it. And Kevin Spacey's nowhere else. It's kind of incredible, though, what they did with Kevin Spacey and the lack of his appearance in any of the marketing materials. I know. Because, yeah, yeah, it's unexpected for sure. Like, you know that somebody's going to be unveiled at some point, but it's cool because it doesn't lead you to think that he's ever going to be the part of it, just to put it without being too spoilery. Well, how did you, well, I mean, we're just going to go full blast spoiler, because, I mean, like, I yeah, we have to talk about the whole thing. Like, right. Just boom. You just did. You're just like, yeah, Kevin Spacey's the killer, so, by well, the way. Well, I didn't say that. It's actually, it's actually Kevin Spacey, not John Doe. It's Kevin Spacey. Is oh, yeah, yeah. Um, what did you know about this movie, like, going into it? So, I, I knew Kevin Spacey was the bad guy, right? I knew that he was the antagonist. Uh, I didn't know exactly how that played out. I... I realized, like, after I started watching it, that there were some details that I had picked up just over time. It's impossible to avoid stuff about, especially such a big movie. You know, there's the whole, like, what's in the box dialogue, the line. Oh, what's in the box? What's in the fucking box? And uh, I was pretty sure that it was his wife that was... You knew it was in the box. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, I think somehow just over time I'd picked up on that detail. Um, And I think throughout the movie, just knowing a few of those things, like Kevin Spacey's the killer... 
like kind of figuring out where he might fit into like the seven deadly sins mm-hmm. and then knowing that Gwyneth Paltrow's character dies. Mm-hmm. Um, so you knew that going into it that she... Once it like picked up a little bit, I was pretty sure. Okay. It wasn't like a 100% thing until the very end. Yeah. But I was pretty certain because like, I don't know what else would give him that emotional response. Well, it's like, yeah, because it's like in the memes, like they're all over Instagram. You open it, you see the ending of seven all the time. If I, like I follow a couple of like film accounts and they're always putting that, what's in the box? Yeah. What's in the box? Like every time. So like going into, but you didn't know anything else other than that, like going into it, like kind of like. Yeah, not really. I knew that it was the Seven Deadly Sins. I didn't know the dynamic between Morgan Freeman's character um, and um, I can't remember the name right now. <laughs> uh, oh, uh, 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 David Mills, the uh, yeah. William Somerset and David Mills. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I didn't know what their dynamic was exactly, especially that he was like a rookie cop, or not a rookie cop, but coming in new into the this prince precinct. I picked up pretty quickly that he must be Wrath, as far as like which like sin would be assigned. Mm-hmm. I mean, you see, I think like. Maybe a third of the way into the film, there's the photographer, mm-hmm. and he comes in, and it's just his response to him. And I'm like, well, that's clearly Kevin Spacey. Okay, so you picked that up. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, you know, it's like one of those little like things where it's like somebody's face is so obscured that it becomes this kind of give, in a sense, where it's supposed to be like this artistic thing, and it works, but it's just being aware of film. It's mm-hmm. hard to not see something like that. Funny enough, I was watching um, You, Me, and Dupree the other day. <laughs> Horrible movie. I mean, not bad. It's like, Ta- yeah. Ta- excuse us, you, me, and Dupree. It, this now is actually a you, me, and Dupree uh, episode. Is yeah, that with it's Owen Wilson. It's um, is it Kate Moss? I can Kate Hudson. Fuse that with another movie. I confuse that with a movie that has Raymond. Um, what's his name? Ray Romano. Ray Romano. Yeah. And Gene Hackman, and that is a different movie that I can't, I, I see the poster, it's mm-hmm. a terrible, like, comedy from the 2000s, and I see the picture, and I can't remember what the name of that movie is. I feel like I know what it is, but I haven't seen anything from that, and so it's just one of those things that falls under the radar, because <laughs> no one's watching these things anymore, right? And for some reason, I'm just watching Yumi and Dupree, but there's a character in there that's, like, very briefly Owen Wilson's love interest, and they obscure her face. And you think like, oh man, what what is the purpose of this? This has got to be some big reveal at the end of the movie. Nothing. Whereas in uh, it's nothing. No, never. Why is her face obscured? I'm not sure. I think maybe just because like is that a movie about a throuple? Nah, not really. It's more of like a <laughs> like an odd couple kind of situation with three people. Owen Wilson, Kate Hudson, and who's the other person? It's um, God, what is his name? I'm looking it up right now. He was in uh, like a bunch of like eighty stuff. Um, oh, uh, Matt Dillon. Yeah, Matt Dillon. That's a oh oh. It's Owen Wilson. Hey, yeah. <laughs> hey. He always whispers. Hi, I'm here. I whisper. <laughs> he always whispers every, in every romantic comedy. But if you watch him in like a Wes Anderson movie, he doesn't do that. No, he's just it's, like he's the, he's just great at kind of existing in whatever world he's oh, I, into. Yeah, I always believe him. I don't know. Seven is something like when I was a kid, I watched it or I wanted to watch it. I wasn't, and I think because I wasn't allowed to see it, made me want to watch it even more. Right, right. So it was like one of those things of like I'd see the trailer and I, you know, like, and we're gonna touch on this a little bit later, but like I loved the Batman character and detective story, Sherlock Holmes, all these kinds of things. Yeah, and I love gritty noir stuff. And this movie was, I think that's one of the reasons it was so intriguing to me was because it was just there's something about this movie that's like I don't know if it if it affected you this way, and maybe it's because when I was like a kid and wanted to see it, I didn't see it till I was a teenager, obviously because of the content and everything. Right. But I, there's something about it where it just, 
it's it's an un, I feel like I don't know like I was looking up old reviews about it, and Roger Ebert gave it a really great review, but the New York Times like gave it a horrible review. Interesting. A lot of people, it was very like polarizing because people like either really liked it or they hated it, and they thought it was trash cinema and like because it was yeah just because I guess because that time it's so dark and just so nihilistic in its approach. Right. The subject to, matter is super dark. Yeah. But like, um, I don't know. I, uh, what was I saying? Oh my god! Like here, this is why I didn't do the podcast by myself. <laughs> <laughs> I need somebody to tell me what I was saying. Um, no, it's like the the, the no the, the film the narrative. That's what I was trying to say. It feels kind of unconventional in a way. Yeah, it starts out like that. Opening is just on Somerset Morgan Freeman's character in his apartment. It just fades in from black. Yeah, it's weird. And I wonder if that's supposed to like just kind of reflect his life at this point. I mean, he's getting out of the force. Yeah. He's seven days away, and it might it might be this like great contrast from the way it ends, where it's like suddenly he's back in the thick of it, and there's no foreseeable end. And uh, it's funny because you see his apartment, and it's this dreary, drab little place, and you see um, uh, Mills's apartment, and it's actually despite the fact that there's the whole train issue, it's very nice. Mm-hmm. And so it's and it's just interesting to see where these characters come and go from the beginning of this film to the end. Because Morgan Freeman's on his way out, Mills is on his way in, and and at the end it's just like he's just back deeper into it, and uh, and Mills is his life is ruined. And I'm not like criticizing the opening. I think it's great. I think it's a perfect because it's it, but it just feels. I think what's so great about it, why it's kind of weird, it almost feels like you're in a weird dream because. I don't think it has a typical... I, I, mean, I guess it does have like a three-act structure, but it's not... I feel like there's more than three acts in the movie. Yeah, I mean, if you really kind of break it down yeah. from like kill to kill, for instance, just like the seven deadly sins and stuff, it's just each of those feels like a little episode almost. Mm-hmm. And then it ramps up towards the end. Like, I think that like third act, if you want to break it into like a three-act structure, like it really does ramp up and then it's like you just kind of get thing, one thing after the other. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, yeah, it feels almost episodic. Mm-hmm. And even the intro, the... Um, the opening sequence feels like a procedural drama from the nineties. Oh, guess, with the Nine Inch Nails music. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a great it's a great opening because I don't I don't usually like like I got it. I became this way more so after like watching Christopher Nolan movies and it really like I paid attention to it. Credit sequences in movies like Christopher Nolan always is like it's like it takes you out of the movie. It takes me out of it. I want to just start the film. I'll save the credits for the end of the movie. Right. And that's how he's done ever since. Like, Memento has opening credits, but after that, like, Batman Begins, nothing. Dark Knight, nothing. Yeah, it's these cold opens. Little, yeah, with a little symbol, and then it goes right into the movie. Inception's the same way. Um, I I like that, but I do also like a cool credits sequence like that. Kind of right. getting you ready into the mood. Like, it takes. it's like you have this little, like, prologue, and then we have the music video kind of segment with the credits, and then we get into the movie. But it's weird because, like, the other cool thing about it that I like, and I think that's, like, it. that's why it's, like, kind of, it still has, like, a very Hollywood feel, but it's also kind of, like, anti-establishment, anti-Hollywood, because the introduction to Brad Pitt's character is just, yep, he just comes up the steps. It's it's nothing special. Yeah, he's just some guy showing up for yeah. work. It's not like hero, he just walks up the steps and he's just like, hey, I'm Detective Mills, I'm, you know, and that's it. Then they have their conversation coming out. Yeah, just really subtle glances back at the officer that's in the back room, looks over at Morgan Freeman's character, and yeah, they get started. And then it's just like the, with the first crime scene, it just jumps right into it, and you feel like you missed something in the movie. Yeah. That's what I think is great. 
Yeah, and it's cool because they fill in all those gaps throughout right. the film. But it, yeah, it just kind of opens, and you're just trying to you're you're kind of living alongside these characters as they're mm-hmm. just trying to figure out what the hell's going on. Mm-hmm. I just love how it feels like. Um... It feels like you're just going down, down, and down into like a maze or like a tunnel. Like it just, you feel suffocated. In a, in, and I say that in a positive way with the movie because it feels like you can't breathe. You feel like almost in a way. Yeah. It's not claustrophobic in its framing. It's like like it's wide, but you don't ever see the sky. No, it just gets darker and darker. And I think <laughs> through the whole movie until the end, it's raining. It's it's the skies are gray like it's this really like dark atmosphere mm-hmm. yeah. and uh yeah you just you never really see the light at the end of the tunnel either you know they get to the point where they show up at uh john doe's apartment and you finally feel like they're like they've come up on something mm-hmm. but then it all collapses and they're, they don't get anything more out of that beyond the fact that they know roughly who they're after mm-hmm. and uh they can get some motive behind it but otherwise they're still stuck mm-hmm I think it's like that whole, I, I just think it's, I think the, I think David Fincher perfectly captured everything of like the intrigue of why, because I mean, think about it now, like in 2022, every, I mean, the most popular podcasts are true crime. Yeah. People, like people are obsessed with that kind like of stuff. Morbidly curious. Yeah, it is. It's absolutely, I mean, I was just, I just finished reading um, Mindhunter, which David Fincher made the show Yeah, based off that book. And have you watched Mindhunter at all? I think I've caught... Either the first episode or part of the first episode. And this is a while ago. Some people don't like it because they think it's just like a lot of like dialogue scenes. It is a lot of dialogue scenes, but the acting's great. And if it's great, I would rather watch two actors have a great like conversation scene than like an action scene any day if it's good. Yeah. Like I like great action too, but I want like if I can have both, that's great. But I don't know. I'm just more interested in like humans and like that's. Yeah, I think there's more to a human interaction through a yeah. conversation than throwing punches. Right. <laughs> but I do like a good throwing a punch. I mean, it's oh, yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, that's like, this movie is not action packed, but like. Yeah, you get like one action sequence and it's during that chase. Yeah, which I was going to talk about. Yeah, the chase is the only, there's two times in this movie that that it's handheld. The camera's only handheld in that chase. And at the end of the movie, when it's on mills and john doe is on it's static it's on sticks the camera's like just still interesting but it moves on mills because he's no longer because john doe is controlling the scene and there's all kinds of like like essay video essays about this movie that break down like there's like a whole like the scene between the police chief somerset and mills um early on when he's trying to get mills off the case yeah that there's a whole like online essay about that scene and how Fincher like frames it and how he cuts away at the perfect time and like tells us ev- everything. Like if you're not even like even if you're not like aware of it, it it is subconsciously getting to you the way that he makes like every choice with the camera. Do you know what the goal was? Like what emotion he was trying to? Well, a lot of it's like power like dynamics. Okay. A lot of times and like Mills, like he's like you know Mills is trying to talk to Somerset and Somerset's not looking at him and the angle of the camera and then when like certain characters take over that scene when they are in charge. Mm-hmm. They like, yeah. It's like they, physically making him feel lower than yeah. them. Yeah. That's cool. It's I, cool. Yeah. I can't, I like, I'm not going to like, I'm not going to be as like, you know, like as great as the, these people. I mean, they have really like, they do a great job like about like really analyzing it and like going through it. So I don't want to like take away or like, I can't even like re repeat what they've said. So like you just, if you just Google it, like I'll probably like, maybe I'll put like a link to it in the show notes or something. But it's definitely worth a look. Yeah. Interesting. 
Yeah. And then, like, well, like, the other thing, it's, like, the library scene, like, when they're going through, like, when Morgan Freeman's going through and he's going through all, like, the classics, mm -hmm. the Divine Comedy and all these things, and then Mills is, like, at home looking at, like, Cliff Notes. And, yeah. Like, or, no, he's, like, looking at, like, crime scene photos, and he gets the Cliff Notes versions of things later. And um, I, I love that dynamic with those two characters. Like, because the, the nicest set in the whole movie, I think, is the library. It's the only thing that's not grimy looking. Yeah. It's almost like the here's where this knowledge is. Everything's pristine and it's well like kept up and it's the only place where everything looks clean and neat. Cuz even like you were saying Mills's apartment is nice, but there's still like a grime and grittiness to every thing. Yeah, and even in his apartment he's got his dog separated and they're in this room that looks disheveled and torn apart. Mm -hmm. And yeah, the whole movie gives you this kind of sense of I don't know, it's just like a general lack of hope really. Mm -hmm. What was like your favorite scene in the movie Ooh, that's if tough. you have to pick a or like top three i guess top three um man it's hard to say like this is my favorite because it is so dark right to be like my favorite thing is when they're uh it's <laughs> <laughs> my favorite thing is when they find the guy that has the knife dildo yeah and that then, is that's one of the best acting scenes that guy well that's what i was gonna say is that yeah it's the it's the guy that was like in the the den, you know, the and basically kills the prostitute with this knife, bl this bladed dildo, strap on, yeah, yeah, strap on, yeah, and and it's it's horrifying. Like the whole situation is really dark. Yeah, but his performance was so good, mm -hmm. and there was some uh, some like trivia that I had seen about that scene specifically, where it's like this guy didn't sleep for several days. I think he might have, uh, I think he was hyperventilating just before any of the shots, like any before any of the takes. Oh, really? Yeah. So oh, I, mean, I didn't even look that. That's. I didn't know that. Yeah, wow. and so his performance is really powerful. Yeah, and it, yeah. it makes sense. But yeah. I don't know. I just really respect what he did there. I think um, the scene with Victor when they go in and saw the cops raiding this apartment, and you see all of the uh, the air fresheners, the little oh, trees yeah. hanging from the ceiling. Oh yeah, and you can immediately tell what's about to happen here, or at least to some degree that there's something decaying, and they unveil this this frail corpse of a man. Mm -hmm. The, the, and it's funny just because the the police officers are all on the attack. They're mm -hmm. expecting something alive when it seems so clear that that's not what they're about to find. And then he comes to life and it's, I don't know, it's really like sickening. But it's very cool just visually watching them all come into this place that is torn apart. You got all these air fresheners hanging from the ceiling and then it's unexpected to them and watching them react. And I think in that scene too, the actors didn't know what they were about to see. Yeah, that would be a good, I, yeah, I, yeah, I need to look. Did you look that up? Did you find that out? Or yeah. Is that what they said? They didn't know what they were going to... Because, I mean, that's that that's clearly a puppet. Right. Or, I mean, not clear, but I, it's got to be. Like, it's it's some kind of, like, animatronic... No, so it's a it's a guy. They cast... That's a guy? Yeah, it's the same actor who was in X-Men 2 as uh, Stryker's son in the wheelchair. It's this actor that just happens to be really thin. Yeah, like, okay, so that's, like, an actual... Like, I thought it was, like, a puppet. All I always thought that was, like, a... Yeah, and I'm sure the, I'm sure the actors assumed that as well. So when he, like not necessarily lunges, but pops mm -hmm. up, their reactions were totally real. I'm going to have to just cut this part out because I sound like an idiot because I was like, I thought that was a puppet. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, no, like, yeah, though, that scene is so great. Yeah, like, when he does that. And the, you know the guy that's the SWAT leader is, he was on Scrubs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I watched him come into the, like, enter the building, and I was like, I think that's, I can't remember the actor's name. I can't name. remember his name either. But he's in, he was like a comedian. He's been in a lot of like comedies. Yeah, he's in uh, another movie I watched recently, which is The Animal with Rob Schneider. Is he in that? He's like the head of police. Oh my God. Or like hilarious. one of the like 
crime officers, but he's in Wagons East with John John Candy's last movie. Interesting. Yeah. Man, that must have been a while ago. So it's oh, like yeah. early on in his career. Oh yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't know how old. Yeah. Well, this is ninety five. Oh, true. So I know that's it's that's the other thing about Seven that's really cool is it it's aged really well. I think. Yeah. I was actually gonna say that before like before watching it, beyond the things that I kind of knew, mm-hmm. I didn't look anything up, and so I didn't know when this was produced, like when it was released, any of that. And so just watching it, I might have assumed it was like two thousand two, like early two thousands. It definitely didn't jump out as a 90s film because the quality is so high. Mm-hmm. And it feels still, um, everything just, I don't know, it feels modern. Well, Fincher's still making movies like this. Yeah. That's the thing. His stuff's a little more polished now. I don't think it's nearly as grimy as it was with Seven. I think, like, Seven and Fight Club are very gritty, grimy, very just, like, gnarly-looking movies. Yeah. He's cleaned up a little bit in, like, I feel like maybe, like, the the... the um, the look of like the production design and the art design mm-hmm. is like cleaned up a little bit, but I think that's why the, it's just, yeah, I can't, I can't believe that Fight Club's over 20 years old now. That's just crazy. Yeah. That's insane. <laughs> I mean, it, it, and it still, it holds up. Yeah. And I think that's the same thing with seven is that these films still like stand their ground as far as being good films and looking good. Yeah. Yeah. That's like the testament to like a really good movie is if it can like withstand the test of time and still is relevant. Like, Anything like that, yeah. Anything good, like, is you know still relevant today as it was, you know, when it was when it was first made. Um, but I think that the movie did get more. Well, it did. Like people started to like. That's one of the things I was reading in that uh, David Fincher Mind Games book. Um, that he um, like the film like started to find like its like audience after like the fact. Kind of one of the, like Fight Club was the same way. I feel like he's all. I feel like Fincher's always ahead of his time. Right stuff. Yeah, like I mean, this kind of like setting the, you know, the mood for what's to come. Yeah, I mean, for like a 90s film, this feels a little bit out of place almost. It feels, mm-hmm. I don't know, not to like, not to like jerk this film off for its, its own, uh, but it's it feels like such a high quality film for 1995. Yeah. Yeah, it's just very, very different. But hold on, I'm, we're going we're gonna to take a quick bathroom break. Um, this is where the sponsor will come in, but we don't have a sponsor, so we'll just play some uh, cool lobby music. And now, on with the show. All right, we're back from bathroom breaks uh, <laughs> and getting stuff at the concession stand. That's so stupid. I gotta cut that out. That's concession stand. We just got some raisinets. What was your favorite concession stand food? Ooh, um, as a kid, I loved Bunch of Crunch. Oh yeah, and Cookie Dough Bites. I think were like the number number one and two. Yeah, I worked at a movie theater when I was like sixteen or seventeen. I can't remember. All the people like that worked there were like obsessed with cookie dough bites. I don't know why. They're good, man. I, I don't know why that and Sour Patch Kids. And oh god, I haven't had that. I can't eat that kind of stuff anymore. I can't <laughs> eat Sour Patch Kids. I eat that kind of stuff more often than I should. Oh, have, definitely. <laughs> I um no Mike my, my did you ever do um snow caps and your popcorn? Did you ever put that mixed in with your popcorn? So no, but as a little kid, my mom and my sister, my sister's like 11 years older than me, they mm. would always do that. They'd always get snow caps every time, and I was like, this is just this is chocolate chips with sprinkles. Yeah, it's bitter too. Yeah, they're like yeah. the semi-sweets. Mm-hmm. But what we would do is uh, we'd get Reese's Pieces and oh, put yeah. those in popcorn. And I haven't done that in years, but that was like a like a family staple. Have you ever heard anybody call them Reese's Pieces? Yeah, and you know what? Yeah, I, I, I did I, for a long I, I time. I did too. Yeah, <laughs> and I got hell for it. And I was like, what's wrong? I, I don't know. I'm just saying. It's that thing you hear it, and then you just repeat it, and you don't think about it. Yeah, and until someone calls you on it, you're like, this is just a way of life. I have gotten really good at saying Reese's Pieces 
but now I'm going to say Reese's Pieces again, and I'm going to look like a fucking idiot. <laughs> like, I can't believe how long nobody corrected me when I would get them at a, at a movie theater. I'd go, Reese's Pieces... Pieces and people would just give them to me. I guess they were like, "Oh, that poor guy." Um, Wait, were you like a like a grown man? I was a grown man oh, saying shit. that. Okay. I wasn't like a seven year old going, "Can I get some Reese's Pieces?" No, I was like a grown ass man going, "Can I get some Reese's Pieces?" Oh, she was no. like, "No, it's called Reese's. You don't call Reese Witherspoon Reese." And I'm like, "Yeah, I do." Hell yeah, yeah, I call her Reese. <laughs> okay, so okay, here's another thing though about and and I thought about this last week. I watched Silence of the Lambs, rewatched it. Have you ever seen it? Yeah, I haven't seen it probably since like twenty thirteen though. Because of Silence of the Lambs, this movie was basically greenlit. It makes sense. Yeah. So Orion Pictures had like had, they made Silence of the Lambs and what happened was they like New Line, I think like everybody's looking for like the next hit because like, you know, Silence of the Lambs had like Academy Award nominated it, it I think I know it won. I know Anthony Hopkins won. Yeah. You know, everybody's looking for their next thing. And, like, the music for Silence of the Lambs is so similar to this, the score. And it's Howard Shore did both. Oh, okay. Okay, so, like, it's... What did you think... Because that's one thing that I love. And I it's something that's hard to listen to on its own. There's, like, some film scores that I love to listen to, like, uh, separate from the movie. Yeah. Like, Hans Zimmer's, like, Dark Knight trilogy. I love that music. What he did for me. I just like Hans Zimmer stuff mostly. To, I, can, I can listen to it without the movie a lot. There's other scores that are like that, and I do like Seven's score, not Seven's score, and I'll listen to it. But it's super dramatic, like it's intense. Yeah, it's definitely very intense, and I think like the the Hans Zimmerman stuff, especially for like Dark Knight, is intense, but it's in kind of more of an uplifting way. Yeah. So I can definitely see like being able to listen to that versus this. That's definitely like it's just fitting the mood of the film, which is you know this kind of like low street level. Like darkness, really, but it's also super operatic. Like it's like that that wrath, that final music when John Doe comes into the police station. The music is really just intense. And it's the same way with Silence of the Lambs. There's a lot of times when it's really intense in that. Interesting. I think I might need to like kind of do another watch just to like listen out for those cues well you can get like yeah but both the scores i would encourage you to listen to both the scores on because they're on apple on the on itunes you can listen to the silence of the lambs and seven and compare them because they're very very similar but it's interesting like how i don't know it's it's silence of the lambs is i mean it's great we'll have to we'll have to do an episode about that because i think that that movie is very after watching it again and seen in a while um it's definitely something I'd like to talk about because there's yeah. some really awesome shot design that Jonathan Demme did with that movie. Yeah, and it's an iconic film. Yeah. I haven't seen it in so long that a rewatch would honestly be warranted. Well, the crazy thing is that Anthony Hopkins is in literally, I think, three scenes in that whole movie. Yeah, and he's yeah, it's, the iconic part of that yeah, film. Yeah, so on March 4th, the new Batman movie comes out. I need to get tickets for it, I'm sure. It's I have like, tickets for the third Oh, nice. Be. Yeah. Damn. Yeah, I was like, as soon as they were like, I had that reminder sex of the AMC stubs thing. Yeah. I Do got you like, have the A-list thing? I have some sort of thing through AMC, but I also have the, uh, whatever the Regal membership is. Okay. Which is honestly not as good. They have Pepsi there. Nothing against Pepsi. Oh. But uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a Coke guy. Yeah. Coca-Cola. Yeah. But I they have a, a theater at uh, Atlantic Station, and I really like that theater. Mm-hmm. Now but, you're telling everybody where you go. 
Oh. Know, if this becomes popular, they're going to follow you. Yeah, show up at the movies. <laughs> oh, no, I'm going to get murdered. Now you're going to have stalkers. They're like, oh, they just talked about a serial killer movie, and they're talking about serial killer movies. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> it's like the whole Jodie Foster thing with Taxi Driver. Someone's going to just... John Hinckley. Oh, is that his, was yeah, that his I was just reading about that this morning. Yeah, hopefully they don't laugh. Yeah, no one will hate you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, now Cole is now comparing himself to Jodie Foster. So, you know me. Wow, that's... <laughs> um, but yeah, like, okay, so when I when, when like I saw Seven, I was always like, I loved what Christopher Nolan did with the Batman movies, and I still think those will be the best trilogy ever of Batman. I think those will be some of the best stories. But I'm very looking forward to this one because I've always thought that... Seven was the, a great blueprint for a Batman movie. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm just saying, like, <laughs> I'm going to pull the trailer up after you've seen Seven for the new, like, the second trailer for the Batman. You know, if it's going to have to, like, compare to the Dark Knight trilogy, which I honestly, yeah, I think you're right. I don't know that they're, uh, people are ever going to stop comparing any new Batman to Christopher mm-hmm. Nolan's. So I think if they do take this different route and it has more of that David Fincher feel, I think that's exciting because it's different and still really cool for like what is just noir I think it needs to I think it needs to go in a drastically different direction because you don't have a lot of detective stuff in those movies um, in the Nolan the Nolan films are more like interested in being like a like Raiders of the Lost Ark meets like Lawrence of Arabia like you know it's not they're more about bigger like themes like anarchy and right terrorism and like whereas this movie looks like it's really gritty crime like street level like a different thing and that's the beautiful thing about that character is you can do these different things with him but even with like the the riddler stuff everything about it it just it's like zodiac and seven and like i just can't i'm very curious to see how much of it's going to feel like because it really does look like it could be a some of it looks like it's a scene out of seven damn yeah i need to take another look at that trailer I mean, Batman's, you know, he's the the world's greatest detective, so it makes sense that it would be something more grounded and, and gritty. Yeah. Police! Hands up! I'm vengeance. Yeah, it looks pretty sick. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I'm really excited to see that. But, yeah, it, it, you can't... It's especially after, like... it doesn't. It's not a carbon copy by any means of Seven or anything like that. But you can feel... Even, like, the club stuff feels like that... The sex club. Yeah. The red Well, I was going to say, they use so many more warmer tones. Even just to compare it to the Christopher Nolan films, for instance, where it feels like there's a lot of cooler tones. Maybe it's just more vibrant. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's a lot of these, like, very warm tones, like, oranges, browns, reds. And, yeah, that that club scene definitely kind of feels like the... Yeah, with the... The din. Yeah. Yeah. I Yeah. Oh, look, here's the scene with the... <laughs> We've got seven playing in the background, by the way, so like we can like look over at it and. But yeah, this is the puppet, the guy that I thought was a puppet. <laughs> I love that. Oh my god! I just sound like such a fucking idiot when this comes out. Nah, nah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. Like, all right, so like closing, closing thoughts because we've talked for almost an hour about oh, seven. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> Probably like ten minutes of that was you, me, and Dupree. I think it was. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. I'm going to look up that movie really quick. What was that? Um, let's see. Oh, my God. There it is. 
What is this? <laughs> Welcome to Mooseport. That's what I was seeing. Uh, I would love to see how much that made. Why was I seeing <laughs> that when you said you, me, and Dupree, I was seeing... Oh, what do you think the meta score is on this movie? Is that out of 10? No, no, no. Is it like out of it's 100. Yeah, it's 100 on IMDb. Yeah, so what do you think it is, the meta score for Welcome to Mooseport? I like... I'm going to guess like 36. Oh, a- damn. Close. 33. Okay. That's pretty good. 33. All right. Let's see what uh, Yumi and Dupree. Oh, God. Okay, so the Wait. Is- now, why were you watching Yumi and Dupree? So I've been on this, this kick lately of just watching just watching movies. Um, I've seen a lot of movies over the years. but Which is why we agreed. Like, just like, why we were like, hey, let's do this because you're watching a bunch of classics. Right. right. And so I, a lot of the classics end up being these kind of like heavy films. I mean, for instance, I know, honestly, I think... I might have watched Yumi and Dupree immediately after seven. <laughs> no, you couldn't go to sleep. <laughs> I mean, but it's just uh, it's kind of fun to balance these like classic films that have been um, kind of like time honored like things versus just watching these garbage movies. Okay, and you just went on the record calling Yumi and Dupree a garbage movie. I'm not taking it back. You just said it was a garbage movie. I had a chance. I'm not going to take it back. I think Owen Wilson's great. You know, okay, here's what I'll say. If I'm, You know my first film thing that I did in movies was with Kate Hudson. Oh, really? Yeah, I was cut out of the thing, but my first, the first movie I was in was with her, and it was a scene with her and Riz Ahmed. Yeah, I was like her dead boyfriend. I was supposed to be like a ghost. Well, that's... Yeah. Out of context is so bizarre. I was like walking up a flight of stairs in Atlanta, like downtown Atlanta, and I'm going up these steps, and I pass the two of them, and she, like, has, like, this, like, flashback moment, <laughs> and, like, they did this really cool, like, super close-up on me and everything that they were, like, gonna do, and, like, I was gonna, and, yeah. Damn, whole time. I know, I really, I was like, damn, why? <laughs> <laughs> it was so, but it was a great experience, it was really cool. Yeah. But, yeah, no, Kate Hudson, she was awesome, she was really, really nice, so was Riz Ahmed, he was awesome, they both damn. were, yeah. And you get cut. Have you seen Sound of Metal? No, I don't think I've ever heard of that. You didn't hear? Oh, dude, that I think it was like two years ago. Um, that it's on Amazon. It was Sound an Amazon movie. Yeah, he, it's a, he's a drummer in a in a, like a punk rock band, like a really indie like um, underground kind of like rock band, and he starts to lose his hearing. Oh shit! It's awesome. I'm gonna add that yeah, to my add list. That. Anyway, you, me, and Dupree. Um, <laughs> Yeah, okay. The first half of the movie, Owen Wilson is, like, the antagonist. Matt Dillon is, I guess, really more of the protagonist at that point. And then there's this switch about halfway through where Dupree, uh, which is Owen Wilson, becomes more of, like, the protagonist. He's the he's the good guy, in a sense. And so the tone shifts. The whole movie kind of takes this shift. And it gets better at that point. Okay. Um, but I'm not going to say it's garbage, but it's definitely... <laughs> it's not a classic, you know? No one's talking about Do that movie. Do you know who directed that movie? Yes, it was the um, the. Um, I just clicked on it. You're never the Russo gonna, brothers. You're, yeah. you're never getting. You're never gonna get hired for a Marvel. Movie. Oh no! <laughs> okay. Oh you're shit. You're no okay, longer. Okay, you're yeah. you're fucked now. <laughs> what do you think the meta score was for uh, Yumi and Dupree? <sighs> okay, this is a real toss up here. Um, was it lower or was it higher? You just have to guess. Out of a hundred, what was it? Uh, I don't think that movie was very well received. <laughs> I'm going to guess 23. No, it was a 46. God damn it, my second guess would have been 48. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, all right, so 7 on IMDb. What do you think the meta score for 7 is? 
Is this critics like? Is it critic scores or is it audience or? Oh, it's not audience. No, it's not like Rotten Tomatoes where it's just like, okay. It's just critics. Audience has said it's amazing. Critics say it sucks. Transformers five. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm gonna be yeah, yeah, we're both screwed now. <laughs> yeah, we're uh, we're, we're blacklisted. Yeah, right there. <laughs> okay, so you said it wasn't as well received in the beginning. It had a bit of a take off oh. later. I'm going to guess... Split down the... Uh, yeah, just go ahead. I'm going to give it a 77. 65. Okay, I'm not too far off. That's not too far off, no. I'm not surprised by 65. I, I tend to like movies that are like... I mean, I like some movies that are like 98, but um, when they're like a 65, that's like... Tends to be like my favorite movies is in a weird way. Interesting. Do you yeah. think there's any reasoning behind that? I think or? it's just because I like things that maybe like aren't necessarily like... I don't like things that are mainstream. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna man. go buy my clothes from Hot Topic. <laughs> um, no, I I don't know why that is. I, I just I've noticed that Fight Club, of course, was hated. You know that, right? Really? Oh no, yeah, yeah I was not. So aware it was like of a misogynistic, like all this horrible, like people who miss the point of like what the actual like what it's about. I think that's yeah. sometimes what happens though. A lot of these times, like people miss the point. Yeah, and especially with something like Fight Club, I can see that being the case. And I mean, it's different. It was a different time too. I mean, well, it's like 20 years ago, but... People still miss the point of that movie. Like, I love the Tyler Durden character for the reasons that it's like... Brad Pitt makes it, like, fun, and, and like, he, he would be a fun character to play. Yeah, absolutely. As a real person... Yeah, horrible man. He's a horrible <laughs> anarchist. Yeah, he's not a good... Like, I, it's weird how, like, culture, like, we do this, though. We, like, we, like make heroes out of these, like, horrible like deplorable characters very often yeah. but i think a lot of that has to do with we every people like rebels they always have i mean yeah. it's like james dean they always like were doing that with him like he was this rebel marlon brando the same thing but like i think it's the actor i think it's what they do with the character yeah i mean it's brad pitt and it's like brad pitt in his prime right. and he's charming you know yeah. so it's funny he's funny too in that yeah. movie like that movie's really funny um you know, that's the other thing about Seven is there's a lot of humor in this movie, too. Yeah. It's pretty funny. I mean, even leading up until they get to the the box, you know, that whole thing, it's like Brad Pitt's cracking jokes at John Doe's expense. Mm -hmm. And it, yeah, it is lighthearted, but knowing what's to come mm -hmm. makes it, it's it's like a bit of a sting with every one of uh, of Mills's jokes. Yeah. I mean, like, when you go back and, like, re like I remember the first time I had, like, this DVD of it, like the first time I saw it, I rented, I rented it from the the, the video store because that's what they had when I was in high school. Um, nobody knows what those are. They're like, what? <laughs> um, but the, the DVD was weird because, like, do you? I don't know if you remember this. I think it was just Warner Brothers DVDs or something. It's before DVDs were like big enough to carry a whole movie. You would have to flip it over halfway through. Yeah, there would be second discs. Yeah, there were either second discs or like on seven, it was a. You remember top? Yeah, I know exactly. Because like in the uh, there'd be like a ring around the yep. top. Like both sides would have to be like reflective, obviously, so they yep. can be read. And they would have all the little details on that inner ring to say like which side you were looking at. And some of and some DVDs would have like on one side it would be like the movie and the special features on the reverse. Yeah. But with seven, it stopped halfway through, and you had to flip it over like a laser disc. I mean, seven's it's like. It's not even that long, but it, you know, I'm wondering if, and I, I should look this up. I should have like researched this before I like brought it up in a podcast. Like, this. <laughs> you thought the guy was a dummy? I don't know uh, how to tell you. <laughs> the guy was a dummy. The DVD flips over halfway through. Um, oh God. Um, 
but I'm wondering if it was like something about the like the the to keep the integrity of the picture quality. Yeah, like maybe that was like something to do with like maybe Fincher's like 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 he didn't want it to be like compressed, digitized. Yeah, compressed, digitized. Like because it's only oh, it's like what two. Say something while. <laughs> Um, well, yeah. So I don't know. It's 127 minutes. <laughs> I'm glad I said so much. So it's so yeah. It's not. It's not. Yeah. It's not like a crazy long movie. Okay. So we just looked up the uh, New York Times review from what? Let's see. Hold on a second. I had it. Uh, September 22nd, 1995. Section C, page 18. I uh, yeah. I subscribe to the New York Times so uh, I can get access to all this stuff. <laughs> I'm, I'm, it's exclusive to the podcast. Uh, nobody else can get this. So Cole's going to read the uh, review. Uh, we'll take it away, Cole. All right. 1995. In Seven, a grim urban environment is rocked by horrible murders, each more gruesome than the last and each with strong ties to the local library. It seems that the killer showily conversant with Dante Miltant, Chaucer, and no doubt Agatha Christie has devised an orderly string of crimes that deliver a collective message. Each one interprets that a deadly sin in terms of that's interprets a deadly sin in terms that smack of Hannibal Lecter. Pride, a beautiful model is butchered with her nose out off, or cut off to spite her face, etc. In case that these crimes, however disgustingly rendered, are not formulaic enough, Seven also throws in two familiar detective types, the brash new guy, Brad Pitt, and the steady-handed veteran who is on the verge of leaving the force, Morgan Freeman. The new guy has a loving, patient wife, Gwyneth Paltrow, and so the film treats her in ways you wouldn't treat a dog. Yikes. As for the veteran, if you guess that he has only one week to go before retirement, naturally, you're right. Yeah, at the very beginning of the movie, he's like... Sick burn. <laughs> right. Yeah, right at the top of the movie, he's like, only seven more days. And then, then yeah. Is that your Morgan Freeman? No, my Morgan Freeman's... My, no, it's more like... Morgan Freeman. There's only seven more days. Oh, that's pretty good. That's much better. Yeah, yeah. I, like, really half-assed it the first time. <laughs> Morgan Freeman. My name is Morgan Freeman. My, and name, I, my name is Morgan Freeman. No, my, my name. name is Morgan Freeman. <laughs> Although the director, David Fincher, with a strong track record and rock video, and the screenwriter, Andrew uh, Kevin Walker. No, you have to do the rest oh, of okay, it. Yeah, I'll Morgan do it. Freeman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Although the director, David Fincher, with a strong track record and rock video, and the screenwriter, Andrew Kevin Walker, inspired to write Seven while working as a clerk at Tower Records, Borrow so many familiar elements of their story, they seem undetermined, or seem determined to give it an uncommonly nasty spin. So the crime scenes are rendered in sickening detail, and the whole film is a murky, madly pretentious tone. <laughs> Visually, the effect is that of a is that of spending a long time looking at a bowl of oatmeal on a rainy day. That that sounds like something he'd say. Honestly. Holy God, that does. Yeah, <laughs> I like that little uh, little analogy there. <laughs> Only brightening its last scenes does the film brighten, partly because of the actor who is revealed as the killer and partly because of the action that finally moves outdoors in broad daylight. Sign up for the movie's update newsletter. <laughs> it's got to just skip that. <laughs> yeah. no, no. <laughs> Wait, no, there's more, though. They, like, they like do a plug mid-review. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Freeman moves strangely through Seven with the air of one who has seen it all and will surely be seeing something better soon. That sucks, because you know what? It's very... Okay, I'm just gonna... <laughs> get finished. Yeah, yeah. His performance has just the kind of polish and self-possession that is his co-star, Mr. Pitt, seems determined to avoid. 
Demonstrating an eighth sin by frittering away an enormously promising career, Mr. Pitt walks through this film looking rumpled and nonchalant, mumbling his lines with hip and hip diffidence despair. <laughs> He remains too detached to show much enthusiasm, except for times when the screenplay begins moralizing about what sick of a world we live in. Films like films like this one and say California aren't making it any better. Seven is also notable for an excessive run. It's not that long. It's not that. It's 127. This person is like, I only like movies that are an hour and a half long. Seven. I work for the New York Times. This movie's seven minutes past two hours. I hate it. Seven is also. I mean, did I already okay in that? I don't know. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm just gonna start at the top there. Seven is also notable for an excessive running time and a lot of shrill or rumbling sound effects that deliver more jolts than the action can. Not even bags of body parts are bitten off tongue, or a man forced to cut a pound of his own flesh. Think the Merchant of Venice. Keep it from being dull. He just compared it to what is that? Is that Shakespeare? Man, idiot. Yeah, yeah, that's Shakespeare. Yeah. Uh, seven is rated R, and a 17 requires an accompanying adult or adult guardian, and it, it includes strong language and looks at grotesquely mutilated torture victims. That sounds more like... Said, I've never seen a movie say, this movie's rated this for long looks at grotesquely mutilated torture victims. Yeah. What a very specific thing to say. Because usually it's just like, violent... I, no, see, I'm gonna... Oh, I can't. <laughs> I can't violent. do that. I can't, I can't, uh, I can't, I can't compete with that. That was too good. Oh my god. That's a thing. You just now have to read reviews as Morgan Freeman. I'll do it. Moving forward. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't prepared. Next time what I'll have a, it all. Uh... What a pretentious review. Yeah. Well, the Somebody, seven deadly sins. Someone gets there bitten off a tongue. A man forced to cut off a pound of his own flesh. Think the Merchant of Venice. Okay, so we were just talking about how it always rains in this movie. And you were saying that, that on the first day... You looked up trivia, it, it rained, you said. Yeah, so I'm not sure if this was the intention to begin with, but on the first day, I believe it was raining. And it worked because they never had to worry about whether if it was raining or if it wasn't because it just fit with what they were already going for. Well, because they filmed the whole movie in, like, L.A. Yeah. In, like, downtown. And then that's the other thing about the movie that we didn't talk about earlier was that it doesn't have a city. It's not, like, a yeah. distinct city. It's, like, it's just the city. Mm-hmm. It can and be anywhere. There was a... Um, <clears throat> What is the the right word? It was like a some sort of thing that people answered questions to, and I think one of the ones that was missed the most often was a question about seven and what city does seven take place in, and people said New York, mm-hmm. and then fewer people said Chicago, but yeah, it's the the city name is never mentioned, or maybe it is, and it's just not. No, a real it's thing. not. Oh. Never. No, it never is. Yeah, I it doesn't feel like it never felt like New York to me. Is what's weird. I feel like it's not. It doesn't feel big enough to be New York. Yeah, and I get that too. I mean, that's a, again just the the claustrophobic like nature of it, because all the buildings, you know, we don't ever see like a wide of the city. It's always like tights on like buildings, right? Which I think I like that. I think it's cool. Like I love that. But like, yeah, it's just it's a weird. It just feels like it could be I don't know like any any like semi metropolitan area from any anywhere really. I think it definitely has like this like northern vibe. Yeah, it doesn't feel like L A. Even right. though the final part definitely does. Yeah, where they're like in the Mojave area. Right, but that could be... Well, that's another thing of why I thought it could even be Chicago because, you know, the, the like in Indiana and things like that, you start to get out in the plains and things like that. It yeah. kind of has that look a little yeah, bit. Yeah, almost like Midwestern city. Yeah, it kind of has like a Midwestern look. Yeah, and it's like you can see kind of all of like the... I don't know if you've ever been to like Chicago or anything. Mm-hmm. I've been in some of like... 
just kind of gotten off the beaten path a little bit. Like, the building's there, and it's the same thing for Indiana. Like, the buildings look all rusted and worn, mm-hmm. and it's probably just from snow and the salt on the streets to get rid of snow in the wintertime. And uh, this city just definitely has that kind of vibe. One of the things that I like about, and I was just thinking about, like, Fincher, you know, like, he's very methodical in the way that his shots are, and, like, he's one of my favorite... David Fincher and Christopher Nolan are two of my favorite filmmakers. Yeah. They're very... But their styles are extremely different. Like, one is very, like... I mean, they both think out their movies. They're both very intelligent filmmakers. But right. one is very methodical in the way he shoots things and the way he does it. And Christopher Nolan likes to be more, like, with the actors, like, letting the camera kind of move and isn't so, like, strict with, like... At least that's my understanding of, like, what I've been reading and things like that and yeah, watching feels, and observing. It feels a bit more naturalistic, I feel like, with Christopher Nolan. He's kind of, like, sweeps... I mean, if you think about, like, the uh, the shots in Inception, for instance, when the, the hallway is turning, it's just mm-hmm. these kind of long shots where they're following people that... in these kind of... Almost, for lack of a better word, it's almost ethereal in a sense. Whereas mm-hmm. something like this really feels grounded in reality, and it's like these like tight shots. You get some wide stuff too, but um, but it's it's weird though too because you feel I feel like the um, Fincher stuff is more stylized in the look, like right there, like like that shot that we're looking at right there on in the movie, like the lighting, the high contrast, the the low key, and everything, like the way that I don't know, I just I love the way his visual style, I love the way everything's lit. Yeah, I love how. I mean, I I have a <laughs> I have a problem. A lot of people are always like, you, the stuff you shoot's way too dark. But I'm like, well, it's supposed to be seen, yeah, like the way that these movies were supposed to be seen in a dark room. It's not supposed to be watched on an iPhone or where everything's gonna get Apple washed watch. out. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, I don't like. Yeah, I don't like everything being washed out. But okay, so speaking of classic movies, I'm gonna recommend for like this episode for people. I would say The Silence of the Lambs because I think it's the one that like kind of like goes along with this. Like, what would you kind of you would recommend you me and Dupree. Absolutely, <laughs> a stellar film, a um, whole lot of laughs, character development. I, I just—it's uh, it's incredible, really. But I don't want to bore people with that too much. Uh, <laughs> you, me, and Dupree, seven, and you, me, and Dupree, a double feature. Uh, I will say, if it's a—if you haven't seen it, um, the good, the bad, and the ugly is just it. While it's like the iconic western film. Is very good, and it it makes sense why it's been uh, renowned for so long. If you want to watch a bad movie, uh, I got those too. Uh, just watch the Psycho remake; that's fun. I was gonna say because Psycho was one of the influences on this, the original, not the <laughs> not the Vince Gus Vaughn. Van Sant because yeah. that came out in '99. I know that I haven't seen that since I was a kid. It, it, it's so weird because I don't want to call it bad because it is just. But Psycho. Gus Van Sant knew it was bad, right? Like that's the thing. It's interesting because of the way he saw it. Yeah, like he he did it to show that you there's you can't make a real remake because movie like you just can't. Yeah, and there, yeah, there's a whole lot of production stuff there that's really interesting too. That would de- I think would definitely warrant an episode because it's it's bizarre. It's a weird movie. Yeah, yeah. You've seen the original. Mm-hmm. Sure. I watched yeah. the original. I think either the night before or just before watching yeah. the remake. So oh, seeing everything shot for shot was wild. So I own 7 on Blu-ray, but how did you how did you watch 7? It was on Hulu, I think. Yeah, it's on Hulu right now. Yeah. I saw that. It came up on my thing it said Fight Club and 7 and I was like, how does this thing know that that's what I was <laughs> like, like they were right beside I'll show you. Like I took a screen grab cuz I was like this is fucking weird. <laughs> oh yeah, they've got you figured out. That's weird. I know. I don't like that. <laughs> but I think it's on HBO Max if you have HBO Max, mm-hmm. which HBO Max is awesome. Do you have Oh yeah. Yeah, HBO Max is probably the best. I mean, yeah, as far as, like, films, and if you want to watch things that are considered classics, HBO Max is the way to go. 
I don't know if you've watched it, but I just I went I watched it in two nights. Smiling Friends. Have you watched Smiling Friends? I love Smiling oh Friends. Oh my god. <laughs> no, I'm in so oh god. I am absolutely in support of them making more of that. Everybody needs to go and watch if you like Seven. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but if you like if you like Seven, you'll be able to because it's you'll be able to stomach it. That for sure. great adult swim, dark, fucked up humor, and it's. I haven't laughed that hard at something. I was by myself watching it laughing out loud, and I don't usually do that. I love that. Yeah, so uh, the creators of that, Michael Cusack and Zach Hadel, are, they were, like, internet animators forever. And, like, I've watched them over the years, because I was I was just watching, like, you know, like, Newground stuff back in the day and things okay. on YouTube. And it's been really cool to see them, like, just hear them talk about pitching things to networks. Like, it's been Adult Swim, I think, for the most part, because it just makes the most sense. But just they finally see them succeed... They did, a, I think, the first episode of the pilot last year or two years ago. And to now, like, see that they've got this full season long, they've gotten renewed at least for a second season. Oh, so there is going to be a second season. Yeah. I mean, I would hope so. All right, so we're going to close everything out because <laughs> this is, like, over an hour and everybody's like, all right, I'm almost to my destination. Please just shut up and just end this podcast about whatever the fuck you're talking about. I have these TV film trivia cards that I got as a Christmas gift a few years ago. I think my mom actually got these for me. Nice. Yeah, you'd think so, but um, they're kind <laughs> of... Horrible gift. They hey, are a horrible gift. Anyway, I think we should do... So every episode, I think we're going to do a trivia. Um, ask each other a trivia question off these cards. And um, here's yours. All right. Um, I look at them because there's like four things. There's like four questions, I think. Do you have four questions? I do. Okay. So look and see which one's the best because some of them are shitty TV show things. Uh, man, this is a, this is an interesting little set here. Huh. Uh, I, I would be really surprised if you get this right, but it's an interesting question just for the sake of okay, being about film. Hey, yeah, go for it. Let's see what it is. All right. In what year was the Academy Awards Oscars ceremony first held in Hollywood? Oh, God damn it. <laughs> yeah, I don't... 1931. You're two years off. So, honestly, pretty good. I was... What is it? 30... Was it 34? No, it's 29. 29? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because, yeah. All right. We're just going to both not know the answers to If I give you two... No, because there's, like, two extremely easy questions on here, and it's just... You're not going to... You You probably will know what this is. But I'm going to ask you because we'll see. <laughs> what does the acronym BAFTA stand for? Oh, no. Oh, wait. It's British Academy Film Television Awards? No, am I wrong? Is it British at all? Is all of that wrong? No, <laughs> it was very close. Damn. Got, like one thing off. It's British Academy of Film and Television Arts. Ah, uh, so it was, I got the last one. We both wrong. were pretty close, but uh, <laughs> yeah. we're just stupid. I thought you think that you, me, and Dupree is a work of art, and I think that the guy in Seven that was super skinny was a puppet. So uh, I can't think of a better way to end the episode. All right, I hope you come back because uh, we have a lot more knowledge about movies. This is Christian Wallace. I'm Cole Nowacki. And we will talk to you next time. Bye.